Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And welcome into the Hard Count, the people's college football show for every single thing that you and I both know and love about this beautiful sport. Happens here every day. We're live twice a week as we are right now, 11 a.m. Eastern. We have got a lot to jump into. About to be joined by the newest member of the On3 team, five-star plus college football host Andy Staples to just go all around the country. We're talking USC, we're talking Oklahoma, Texas, head to the SEC, what we need to see from them this coming season to be ready for the SEC. Also going to talk about the beautiful state of Florida. We're going to go all around the country there. Make sure you're tuned in for that. But July... I'm telling you, man, the summer is for recruiting. What happens in the fall happens in the fall, but a lot of what happens in the fall is based on how you stock the cupboard on the recruiting trail. And we're only in July 6th, but even so, there's been a lot of movements in the on three industry team rankings. So who's off to a hard start? We'll break that down. Also, who are some teams that are set to have a boom year in 2023? And when I say have a boom season, I'm not talking just nice little seven-win season, eight-win season. I'm talking double-digit win season. I'm talking maybe competing for a conference title. Stay tuned for that. Going to break that down for you. Also, Pulse of the Program Series returns. Hot weather means we're almost time for college football, so we got to break that down. First up, Tennessee Volunteers had a magical season in 2022. What can we expect in 2023? What is the Pulse? Glad to have you tuned in. Glad everyone tuned in live, whether you're on podcast, whether you're on Apple, whether you're on Spotify, however you're listening or watching, we're glad to have you a part of this. We're only talking college football here for the next hour or so, so kick them up. It's going to be a real good time. As I tease at the top of the show, we are now joined by the newest member of the On3 team, the best in the business, Andy Staples. Andy, how we doing, man? Welcome to the team. We are doing great. Great, JD, and very happy to be here. Uh, it's weird being on this side of the podcast, and, and we're on a live show, and I can't see the, the YouTube comments, and it's, it's kind of driving me crazy because now I want to know what everybody's mad about. They're probably all just saying nice things. They're probably all saying they're glad to have I you here. They're excited for college football season. But, Andy, you're doing this show right now live from Gainesville, Florida, so I feel like there's no better way to tee this up and talk about the Florida Gators. What do you make of what's going on with Billy Napier right now? Because it feels like everybody has a strong opinion, whether it's positive or negative. What are you anticipating for them in 2023? You know, Vegas and the FPI, that you're looking at between five and seven wins is what they're saying. I think the higher side of that is probably fairly realistic. The question I have for Florida is, what do you look like this season? Because I'm not expecting them to win the SEC East or win the SEC title. But what do you look like in the games against the Georges and against the LSUs? And also, how is the recruiting going? You look at the way they've been recruiting, especially in the last month, their finalist lists are looking a lot better than they did about two years ago. And that's really what they hired Billy Napier to do. They hired Billy Napier to build a roster that looks more like the rosters you see at Georgia, at Alabama, at LSU. To do that, you've got to beat those guys for players every once in a while. It's not something Florida was doing under the previous staff. It feels like they're in the mix a lot more now, and they're getting some of those guys. 
the thing is, it's not an instant fix. You know, the, the, their roster was not in a place. It wasn't like what Brian Kelly walked into at LSU where there were already some really good players there that Ed Orgeron had left behind. Their roster, other than Anthony Richardson last year, wasn't a lot of special on it. And it's their job to go find more special. And I think that's, that's what they're trying to do. Now, it, it's not easy. And so I want to see what they do when they're playing those teams. How hard are they fight? You know, how, are, how hard are they playing for Billy Napier? And then are some of the young guys, the guys that you're saying, oh, that's the most promising guy on the, on the roster. You know, I think Trevor Etienne, the running back, we know he's going to be pretty good. But Andy Jean, the freshman receiver, uh, they got a guy named Eugene Wilson coming in, another freshman receiver. Can those guys be playmakers right off the bat? You know, Kelby Collins, who was a guy that they beat those big dogs out for in recruiting, is he doing well coming off the edge? That's the type of thing I want to see. It's funny because there's so much talk about Graham Mertz and all the – you know, criticism that comes with him from his time at Wisconsin and who Florida maybe could have gone out in the portal. To me, it feels like if Graham Mertz can just be serviceable, like if he's just consistent 7 out of 10 every single game in terms of, you know, not hurting your team and giving the ball to the defense, like he, I feel like they have a, a lot of pieces there, like you said, with that backfield with Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne to where Florida could be a team that, that makes some moves if that defense is just deeper for them. It, it depends. It's interesting because – they lose Jervon Dexter to the NFL on the D-line, but I think they do feel like they're, they're going to be a little bit deeper up front on defense. Uh, Cam Jackson's the transfer from Memphis. He's, he's the nose. Caleb Banks, the transfer from Louisville, they like a lot. And, you know, they got some younger guys that, that, are, that are moving up. That's a, a position group where they have needed to be better for quite some time. And Jervon Dexter, as good as he was, it felt like he was just getting all of the offensive line's attention for a lot of the time. So I think that group needs to be better. But you mentioned Graham Mertz. Unless some of those receivers, other than Ricky Pearsall, blow up, I don't know how good Graham Mertz can be. So that that's the thing. You, you feel pretty good about their backfield. We're not sure about their offensive line, though it should be fine. But who are the, the guys that Graham Mertz can throw to? Who are the guys that they can rely on to make a play? Well, another team in the state of Florida that's getting a lot of love right now Florida State. I mean, tons of hype from the way they finished the year. And a lot of it, quite frankly, is, you know, well-deserved. Is there too much hype on Florida State right now? Is there, is there too much being said positively about them before we've seen what we need to see in 23? So I know they they want to move to the SEC, but they're not moving to the SEC this season, right? <laughs> uh, no, they're no, fine. That, that does not happen. They're in the state of Florida, they're, but yeah, they're, they're competing for SEC recruits, not in the SEC. <laughs> right. So as long as they don't have to play in the SEC this season, they're fine. And this is an interesting thing because I've, I've made this comparison quite a bit in the offseason because it, it is – there's some truth to it. You look at what Mike Norvell has done at Florida State, and that is the hope of what Billy Napier can, can do at Florida. But the difference is by playing in the ACC, Mike Norvell has been able to do it in a different way at Florida State. You can get competitive through the transfer portal in the ACC, and that's exactly what they've done. They, they have a team that can compete with just about anybody in the ACC. We'll see when they play Clemson in early September or in, in late September how that looks. We'll get a good look at how they stack up against a team with really elite talent when they play LSU in the opener. But they've done a great job spot recruiting out of the portal, and then they're, they've improved, and they're using that to try to get better players out of high school. And once they start doing that, and, and you're starting to see that now, 
But give that a few years and suddenly you have a very sustainable program that can compete anywhere. I'm not sure Florida could pull that off. I don't think there's enough quality in the transfer portal to do that in the SEC. Like Florida's going to have to build through the draft. Florida State has a team that can compete right now for the ACC title. They've, they've built that offensive line back up. Uh, Johnny Wilson blows up coming from Arizona State last year. Now they bring in Keon Coleman from Michigan State, who not like Johnny Wilson. You know, Johnny Wilson didn't do much at Arizona State, then came and, and Florida State figured out how to use him. Keon Coleman was Michigan State's best receiver last year. Like Jordan Travis is going to have some fun throwing to him. You look across the roster, and like I don't see a ton of weaknesses for Florida State. My, my, my one question is, is the spotlight too bright too quickly? Because Florida State kind of popped last year and snuck up on a lot of people, and now this coming season, a lot of people are saying, well, are they a dark horse college football playoff team? Are they going to win the ACC? And I don't know if they're a playoff team this coming season, but once the college football playoff expands, Andy, I think Florida State's going to be a force every single year to be in that top 12. Uh, Talked about the SEC a little bit previously with Florida. Two schools leaving for the SEC next year in Texas and OU. There's a lot of pressure on them, especially Texas, to you know win the Big 12 and to finally make good on all of the expectations they've had in the previous seasons. For both these teams, what win totals would make you feel comfortable to springboard them into the SEC between Texas and OU? Well, I was listening to your misconception show from earlier this week, J.D., and I, I got to take issue with, with one of the things you said. You said if Texas doesn't have a great double-digit win season, then it's still okay. It is not okay. They're going to be favored in 11 of 12 games. Like They should be dominant this season. They should be very good. They should win the Big 12 this season. If they don't, you got a problem. If they lose to Oklahoma, you got a problem because right now, they're in a better situation talent-wise relative to Oklahoma than they've been in years. And the rest of the Big 12, not even close to them in terms of on-paper talent. So you'd better win that because you're about to go to a place where the on-paper talent becomes much closer and in some cases better than yours. So you better be able to beat K-State, TCU, and these are very good programs with great coaches. If you can't beat them this year, you got a problem when you get to the SEC. Yeah, Andy, I mean, we're in agreements here. We're, we're in lockstep. The, the misconception for me is the people in Austin, Texas, saying if we don't win the Big 12 outright, failure of a season. I'm with you. They, they need no, to win right. the football they're, game. they're exactly right. It's a failure if they don't win the Big 12. Really? In your mind, it is. Well, so if, if they get to... What are, what are you? Are you Giannis here? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's... I'd like to be Giannis. That would be a good the way to best. look team on paper they should win the league like if you don't do that you didn't do what you were you didn't reach your potential i mean they only won eight games a season ago if, if they get yeah, to they, dallas they, they should have won by more. a field goal is it really a failure of a season andy mm, probably yeah <laughs> okay okay fair See, enough we gotta get your we gotta get your takes hotter jd that's this is <laughs> this is me the veteran coming to you like we gotta have some hot takes here but this, is, this reminds me a little bit of in 2015, I went on Feinbaum, and he asked me a question about Georgia. This is preseason. And I said, if Georgia isn't competing for the national title, competing for the SEC title, they need to ask some really hard questions because this is the best job in America, and they should be in the mix every year. They won 10 games that season. And I remember the, the day that came out on Feinbaum in the preseason, people – in my mentions on Twitter just went nuts. So what are you talking about? You're insane. 
Well, they fired Mark Richt and they hired Kirby Smart and some, it feels like some things changed. <laughs> so that, that's the thing with Texas. If Sark can get these guys to their potential, great. If he can't, you need to think about that. Well, I mean, that's, I think that's a fair point. I think it's a very fair point. And let's, let's stick in that vein of, of misconceptions. Ohio State and Ryan Day, 0 for 2 the last two tries against Michigan. I mean, in, in terms of what Ohio State needs to do this coming season, are they a team that you think is set for, for a bounce back, which sounds weird to say as they made the college football playoff? <laughs> do do yeah. they have a team? Are they, are they going to beat Michigan this coming season, Andy? I guess is really what I want to get down to. That's, Should they beat that's Michigan? That's a great question. I, I was laughing when, when Michigan, Bruce Feldman went on the, the Move the Six podcast with, with Daniel Jeremiah and, and mentioned that they have the beat Georgia drill now at Michigan, which means they're thinking a little more globally. But, man, I'd be pissed off if I was at Ohio State and I heard that. Like, well, we're still here. But – I do here's, – here's the deal with Ohio State. It's very interesting because so much psychological damage from those two losses to Michigan. But if we're being real here, Ohio State is one defensive stop away from being the national champion because they would have beaten TCU. So where are they really? And where they are is they're one of the best teams in the country still. They do need to beat Michigan, yes. But – do they have to beat Michigan to win the national title? Well, I think we learned last year that's not true. They could have won the national title despite having lost to Michigan. It will be much easier starting next year to do that because there'll be a 12-team playoff and they won't have to beat Michigan. But for Ryan Day's sake, he needs to beat Michigan. Don't, don't allow those John Cooper comparisons to fester. Like, don't do that. You know, I, I think people get... We talk about misconceptions. Job description is important. It's important to, I, I remember talking to Nick Saban about this years ago. Like when you're in a job, it's very important for your bosses or your employers or your stakeholders to tell you exactly what the expectations are. So let me tell you what the expectations are for Ryan Day at Ohio State. Win the national championship. That's it. Those are the expectations. And the longer he goes without one, the matter they get. So he needs to put them in a position to win the national title. Now, did he do that last year? He absolutely did. So you keep doing that and you're fine. But you do probably need to beat Michigan because here's the other thing. If you can't beat Michigan, look at Penn State right now. I, Penn State's dude factor is getting higher. It feels like they can be competitive with those two this year. USC's coming into the league. They're recruiting really well. You've got Luke Fickle at Wisconsin now. Luke Fickle helped... Urban Meyer build Ohio State into the monster that it is. Ryan Day's level of difficulty is going up. So it's not going to be that easy to dominate, not like it was the first couple of years in the league. Now it gets more challenging. But again, if he has them in a position to win the national title every year, he's fine. If you yeah. have a few years where you're not, you're not fine. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I think the the sentiment probably grows stronger and stronger. If the, if they were to win the national title a year ago, that Michigan loss never sits well with anybody in Columbus. But maybe no, but they're the, able to get a little, it, Maybe it. it goes down a little bit more smoothly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you talk about expectations. Alabama, the expectation is very very clear there every single year with Nick Saban, win a national title. And this is the first time in a while where there's a little bit larger of a question mark in Tuscaloosa as to what they're going to be. Now, Andy, I'm of the opinion that I believe that 
Nick Saban kind of thrives in situations like this with history as our teacher doesn't feel outrageously important to me who ends up playing quarterback for them because I think it'll be a little bit more line of scrimmage centric what are your thoughts what do you make of Alabama this coming season I think Alabama is still going to be very good. Alabama's roster is still going to be one of the best in the country. They're still going to be capable of competing for the SEC title and the national title. Now, the question is, do they find a quarterback good enough to get them there? They've been spoiled the last couple of years with Bryce Young. Clearly, they did not feel anybody won that job coming out of the spring. That's why they went and got Tyler Buckner. And that's where the alarm bells went off because they've been recruiting five-star quarterbacks. You'd think one of those guys would be ready. Now, I'm I'm fully on the Dylan Lonergan train because I saw one series in the spring game and he was just dealing. So I'm, I'm ready to go with that. But no, who's it probably going to be? Well, Tyler Buckner has run Tommy Reese's offense. Tyler Buckner was the day one starter at Notre Dame last year before he got hurt. So that would make sense. But I'm with you. I think people may be undervaluing it undervaluing Alabama because of what happened last year. But let's be real about what happened last year. They lost two games by a total of four points against very, very good teams. So I am not ready to just declare the Nick Saban dynasty over. I do have some questions because I found it interesting that Kirby Smart at Georgia has now seemingly created the coaching pipeline that Saban used to have, where if somebody left, you just pluck this guy who you've already had, or somebody's in the family, like Bill O'Brien was a Belichick guy, so you could just grab him. It, they didn't do that with the offensive coordinator. They did a real search. So I, I do wonder if, if that's different, or is that a case of maybe they do need some new blood. So we'll see what happens. But yes, Alabama is still very good. Well, let us not declare the Saban dynasty over just quite yet. And it feels like now he has everybody exactly where he wants them oh poor Alabama Alabama's not going to be as good as they were oh is Alabama going to be able to bounce back and I mean history as our teacher again typically Bama and Saban bounce back in a very emphatic fashion uh Andy last he, question he, he for likes you. having he likes having a way to motivate he he does oh, not like coming off a national title is hard to motivate there's no challenge in motivating these guys yeah, there, there's no shortage of bulletin board material for the good folks in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Andy, last thing I want to ask you about, let's go out to the West Coast. How about USC? T to me, it feels like this has to be the year for them to get through and make the college football playoff because Caleb Williams ain't coming back for another year. True or untrue? JD, when's the last time Lincoln Riley had a bad starting quarterback? Yeah, it's been, it's been a minute. How many Heisman Trophy winners does Lincoln Riley has as a has, has starting quarterback? Let's see. Murray, Mayfield... Williams, Jalen Hurts three. still a lot in the NFL. So yeah, Jalen Hurts the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. So I think they're going to be okay. I, I, I think probably they're going to have other good quarterbacks after Caleb Williams. So I don't think they have to do it this year. But it'll probably be easier to do it this year in the Pac-12 than it will be once they get into the Big Ten. That said, this is about as deep as the of a Pac-12 as I can remember. So I, I, I'm not as worried about anything going on with USC's offense. I think they're going to be fine offensively. Is that defense better? Can they tackle as the season goes on? You know, I feel like the body types have definitely improved on the D-line. You go get Anthony Lucas, you go get Barry Alexander out of the transfer portal. I'd like to see more of that coming out of high school because that's how Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, that's how they build national title teams. But 
I like where they're going with that. I need to see it on the field defensively, though, because they're going to be playing some really high-powered offenses in the Pac-12 to get you know, through the Pac-12, win the league. You're, you're going to have to deal with Utah. You're going to have to deal with Washington. You're going to deal with Oregon. Oregon State is going to be very good in a you know, very physical way. So this will be a good test for them. Andy, would it not feel like USC – Wasted's a strong word, but would it not feel like they kind of wasted Caleb Williams if they, if they don't at least play for a national title in 23? Because, I mean, I feel like he's a I mean, generational talent, best player in college football, along with Marvin Harrison Jr., Brock Bowers, but, like, he's on campus right now. Does it not feel like they got a strike while the iron's hot right now? Well, they got to put a defense on the field that is worthy of being opposite Caleb Williams. That's the bigger problem. And that, let's be real. That's been the problem since Lincoln Riley's been a head coach. He has to put a defense on the field that is worthy of being opposite that offense. We know that offense is great. The offense is not the problem. That's not what's going to keep them from winning a national title or playing for a national title. So it's really up to Alex Grinch and company to field a defense that deserves to compete for those things. Got to be able to tackle. 156 missed tackles last season for USC. That's Andy and like Staples. seven on him on the one play against yeah. Utah in the, in the Pac-12. The, the, the third team, he started the season as a third team tight end, and he broke at least 84 tackles Brutal. on one run. Yeah, the, uh, the low light reel is tough to watch for the people in USC when it comes to what they did defensively. Uh, as I was saying, that's Andy Staples. Andy, we're going to get together at the SEC Media Day, talk some ball, talk about everything in the SEC. Uh, let the good people know where they can find your work and what they can expect from the podcast. Well, so we'll be on the On3 YouTube channel, just like this show. It's a very similar situation. We're going to be the primetime show. We're going to do a daily show. We'll be going live pretty frequently. We haven't quite nailed down the schedule of how often we'll be going live. But also, if you'd like to listen in podcast form, it's going to be uploaded to all the, your favorite podcast platforms. So we'll do the show at night. It'll be ready for you as a podcast for your commute in the morning. So any way you want it, we'll have it. And I'll, you know, I'll be posting the clips all over social media. Andy underscore Staples on pretty much all the social media platforms. I joined Threads. I don't know about you, JD. I, I joined Threads last night. Uh, same username as Twitter and Instagram. Andy underscore Staples. So uh, I don't. Basically, I'll either be talking to this microphone or posting on seven hundred social media sites. Beautiful. Beautiful. Andy, speak for everybody here. So fired up to be working with you. Excited to have you on three. And this will not be the last time we do this, man. Thank you, JD. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Again, Andy Staples, newest member of on three, five star plus. That, that was awesome. We didn't really do a whole lot of like, hey, I'm going to ask you this. You say this back to me. Like it was just, Andy, we're going to talk about these things good with that. He's like, yeah, let's roll. And as you saw, we, uh, we're able to talk a lot of ball there, go all over the country. But again, SEC Media Day, Andy Staples is going to be a part of that operation, and we will have a lot of fun doing that. Very, very fired up to have him part of the team. We talked about it a little bit to start the whole show off, and Andy talked about it a little bit during his segment. But July is for recruiting. July is for recruiting, and right now, there are a couple of teams that have started off July in a very, very hot fashion. Hot weather means it's almost college football time. Hot weather also means that recruiting is going to keep on gaining steam. So without further ado, I want to go into some teams that have started off July and already made some moves. If you're keeping up with the On3 industry team recruiting rankings over at On3.com, you've seen those rankings changing rapidly. So I'm going to speak quickly so nothing I say becomes dated. But y'all, Texas A&M 
had the top-ranked class not but two years ago. Here come the Aggies now. They're in the top 10 of the on three industry team recruiting rankings, currently sitting at number nine. And there's a lot of jokes made about Jimbo Fisher after they had the number one class in 22 and the number 15 class in 23. Y'all, at the end of the day, Jimbo Fisher knows how to recruit. They have stocked that roster with talent, which we'll talk more about later in this live show. I mean, they made a statement landing five-star wide receiver Cam Coleman out of the state of Alabama. They also landed a receiver, uh, Jalen Hornsby, on the 1st of July. Had two crucial head-to-head uh, -head wins over USC to finish out June. Like A&M, keep an eye on them now. Keep an eye as we go on throughout July. They're going to be a force to be reckoned with on the recruiting trail. So much is made about NIL and about what Texas A&M is doing on that front. And to say that NIL is just the reason that A&M's landing these kids, I think is a little bit far-fetched. Is it a factor? I think it's a factor in most high-profile recruitments. But to say that that's the only reason they're landing these kids, I think typically that's just bitter fans saying bitter things. So A&M absolutely off to a hot start in the month of July. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you like the video before you get out of here. We got a while to go before we get out of here, but make sure you like the video, make sure you're subscribed, and we appreciate you being tuned in. All right, another team that's off to a hot start in July. We'll stay in the Lone Star State. How about the Longhorns? Now, Texas has been very quiet to start off the 24 cycle, but keep an eye on them now. They're starting to creep up. Currently, they have the number 16 class, they only have 12 commits, but they have four in the month of July. And we talked about Texas on a previous recruiting segment on a live show. And we said this, smart runners, smart runners when running a race, they save a little bit of juice now for that home stretch. And watch Texas continue to pick it up now because they're going to be a team. I think they close really strong, especially as we get into the fall. I would be surprised if they're not in that top 10, top five conversation when it comes to National Signing Day. Steve Sarkeesian in Texas, especially if they have a solid product on the field in the fall, as we expect them all to, Texas is going to be a team that we got to keep an eye on. So starting to pick up some juice now. Again, four commitments in July. I think this is just the start for them when it comes to what they're going to do on the recruiting trail with Steve Sarkeesian running that operation. The number one class in the on three industry team recruiting rankings is the Georgia Bulldogs. And they landed a commitment yesterday from Daniel Calhoun, interior offensive lineman out of the state of Georgia, four-star kid, six foot six, 365 pounds. Safe to say he's been eating his Wheaties. The, the bottom line here for Georgia, when I look at how they've recruited, yes, they're landing top talent. We all knew they would. They're, they always land top talent, as long as Kirby Smart's the head coach there. But look at where they're landing that top talent from in terms of the position. Eight of their 23 commits right now in this class are either playing on the offensive or the defensive line. And we said it on a previous segment, but I'll say it one more time. Kirby Smart understands if you can't move me and I can move you on that line of scrimmage, we're probably going to win this football game. And we were at the National Championship Media Day, and when Georgia walked in, it was evident who had the big human beings. It was evident who was going to be able to control that line of scrimmage. And this is Kirby Smart just continuing to further the formula. We're going to get the big boys. We're going to have the big human beings. And Atlanta, Daniel Calhoun, I don't think they're done. They're also training for a lot of other big human beings. Georgia continuing to do what Georgia does, landing top talent, landing it in the trenches. So keep an eye on them the rest of the way. I mean, Georgia just being Georgia. Last thing I want to talk about here, the Ohio State Buckeyes, they sent a message 
to the rest of the college football landscape when they landed five-star defensive lineman Justin Scott out of Chicago. And this was a shocker to a lot of us. Because Justin Scott, it was Michigan, it was Miami, it was Notre Dame. Then Ohio State came out of seemingly nowhere to land the five-star. And this, to me, just says, listen, you still have to deal with Ohio State. They have the number two class in the on-three industry team recruiting rankings. They are always going to be a factor for all of these kids. I mean, there's not a position that Ohio State doesn't recruit well. Receiver, Brian Hartline's got that on lock. Quarterback. You come to Ohio State, you go play in the NFL. Typically how it works. Defensive line. Justin Scott made it very clear. A big reason, a deciding factor for him for picking Ohio State over Michigan was coming and playing for Larry Johnson, the defensive line coach there. And his track record speaks for itself. Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young, JT Tuimaloao, Jack Sawyer, I think, is primed for a big year. Like, they continue to recruit that position well. They continue to develop that position well. I think that's a big reason why Justin Scott ended up signing, or not signing, committing to the Buckeyes. He's set to sign with the Buckeyes when it comes time to sign. But you hear what I'm saying. Ohio State sending a message. We're going to be a factor for each and every recruitment if we want to be. So Ohio State, Georgia, Texas, Texas A&M, all off to a hot start in July. Make sure you're locked in to on3.com. Make sure you're following on through recruits on Twitter. Hayes Fawcett on Twitter. Going to keep you in the know for all things with the wild world that is recruiting. Also follow Chad Simmons, National Director of Recruiting here at On3. Going to keep you locked in. July just getting started. Recruiting continues to roll. Appreciate everybody tuned in live right now, man. This is an absolute blast. We talk ball every single day. A lot of y'all tune in via the live show. A lot of y'all tune in via podcast. If you're watching the live show right now, make sure you like the video. You hit a little thumbs up under the picture to get us to over 100 likes. To my account, that would be 10 live shows in a row, over 100 likes, before we get off the air. So if everyone could hit that thumbs up button right now, we'd be over our goal. And that would be phenomenal to keep that thing rolling. So thank you in advance for that. Huge shout out to my guy, Anthony, who got at me on Twitter. Said, JD, I'm in Fort Stewart, Georgia. I'm a USC fan. I listen on an Apple podcast. Anthony, we're glad to have you tuned in, man. We're glad to have you part of this program. Thank you for being a part of this. Get at me on Twitter. Get at me on Instagram. Get at me in the comment section of this video and let me know how and where you listen. We've had people from all over the country, all over the world, telling us how and where they listen, whether it's on podcast, out there, window, when they're listening in London, or, or whether you're international and you're, you're tuned in at your military base, whether you're tuned in at your job in the States, we're glad to have you here. Glad to have you a part of this. Again, let me know how and where you're listening. Just an enjoyable part for us to be able to spotlight a lot of our listeners. So thank you for that. Now, another segment I want to talk about here as we move on. Every single year, there's teams that just sort of boom. And you know what I mean. Teams that maybe are slow to gain some traction the year before but they've been building in the shadows. And then all of a sudden in 2023, boom. And when I say boom, I'm not talking a little, you know, seven-win season, eight-win season, go eight and four, that's nice. I'm talking like double-digit win season. I'm talking a factor in the conference championship race, if not win the conference championship. Who are those teams that could potentially boom in 2023? I got one for each Power 5 conference, so let's just kind of go down the list here. And a team that we talked about a little bit when it came to what they're doing in July on the recruiting trail about Texas A&M? Texas A&M, in my mind, is very much so on boom watch in 2023. And if people are going to maybe have an argument against this, 
the first thing they're going to say is, well, Jimbo Fisher, and then it'll go into something about how he's not calling the offense right and how they have underachieved previously. So my question to that would be, okay, so you're saying it's Jimbo Fisher. So you're, you're saying there's nothing wrong with the roster though, right? The talent's there. The way that I'm looking at this, they got as many four or five stars as just about everybody else they're going to play in the country, right? They're, they're going to be competitive from a roster standpoint. So if you're telling me it's Jimbo Fisher's fault, you're likely telling me there's a problem with the recipe. Not a problem with the ingredients. The ingredients are solid. I love Connor Wegman. I love Evan Stewart. Having Anaya Smith back is huge. They got a lot of ingredients on this roster. And it, again, like I said, it is much easier to change the recipe than the ingredients. And they're working to change the recipe right now in College Station. It's why you hired Bobby Petrino to call the offense. We'll see how much say he gets. It's going to be something we have to talk about when it gets here. But I'm not concerned about the roster. The roster is the hardest part to acquire. Putting it together, that can take some time. I'm okay with that. It's not okay to underachieve. But I'm okay with the fact that maybe you don't get it right 100% of the time. Texas A&M, now, if they put it together, they're going to be a team that I think competes in the SEC. And they're going to put a dent in the college football playoff race. Because just look at who they play. They play Tennessee. They play Alabama. They're going to have a chance to make some real noise in this playoff conversation. At very least as to the impact they have on it. Now, whether they compete for the college football playoff or not, who knows? But I'm telling you, the roster itself is enough to be very, very dangerous when it comes to the 2023 season. So Texas A&M, absolutely on boom watch for us here in terms of a team that could pop in 2023. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you like the video. Follow me on the socials, at Judy Piquel on Twitter and on Instagram. Thank you in advance for that. Now, let's move on to the Big Ten. It is no secret how I feel about Wisconsin. I have made my feelings about the Wisconsin Badgers very, very clear. I love Wisconsin. I love Luke Fickle. And they are, I think, a little bit ahead of where a team would be in year one under a new head coach. Because Luke Fickle, you know, said, you know, I'm not just going to watch the bowl game. I'm going to go ahead and coach the bowl game. I'm going to go get involved with this team. I'm going to start coaching this team. And so to me, I'm saying, okay, the process he's putting in place, his way of doing things is starting to infiltrate this team. That, that is a little bit ahead of schedule in my mind. And when I look at this team, they have everything they need to win football games. They won a bowl game last year. They have a chance to make some real noise in the Big Ten this year because they have a solid identity on defense. I mean, Wisconsin teams just always will. Luke Fickle coach football teams always will. They have good personnel. The offense has a chance to be two things. One, explosive. Phil Longo scored over 30 points a game last year with North Carolina. Tanner Mordecai, I think, is one of the best-kept secrets across college football, much less the Big Ten. Put up over 70 touchdown passes during his time at SMU. Got a lot of players through the portal at the wide receiver position. And they have a chance to be balanced. Braylon Allen now, that is a grown man running the football. That is a whole lot of USDA-approved sirloin beef coming downhill at you. So the balance they have in the pass game and the, the tough physical identity they'll have in the run game with Braylon Allen, they're going to be balanced. Balanced football teams do a lot of good things in November because then you're able to be versatile and, and play any style of football whether you're forced to just have a ground and pound kind of attack or whether it's, hey, we're going to stack the box, you better throw the football, you can keep defenses off balance. So tough defense, balanced explosive offense, and they have an organization that has, has the right leader. Going back to Luke Fickle, he's been in the college football playoff. 
He's won at the highest level. He knows what it takes to get this team to where it has to go, where it needs to go, where, where they expect to go at Wisconsin. You have a proven leader in Luke Fickle. It's not just, okay, we hired this guy from, you know, FCS West and he's going to figure it out. It's like, no, no, no. Luke Fickle has won and has coached at big time programs. He got Cincinnati to the playoff. Like, this is not something we're just trying out for the first time for Wisconsin. We know where this thing is going based on his track record. Now, he's got to do it at Wisconsin, but look at Wisconsin and how they're positioned. They're in the Big Ten West. And no knock on the Big Ten West, but like, who, who are we just saying is going to beat Wisconsin outright? Who is a team that's standing in Wisconsin's way that we just think is going to be overmatched for them in that side of the Big Ten? Now, can they win the Big Ten? That's kind of where the next conversation starts. But I really like the way Wisconsin sits from a personnel standpoint, from a philosophy standpoint, and just how they're positioned within the Big Ten as a whole. So Wisconsin, the boom factor is very, very high for our friends in Madison. In the Pac-12 now, let's talk about UCLA. Andy Staples was on this live show just a few moments ago. And he talked about how deep the Pac-12 is. USC is going to be a factor. Utah's back-to-back Pac-12 champs. Oregon, I mean, who knows what Bo Nix and them are going to be this coming season. Washington may have the best offense in the country in terms of what they do throwing the football. For the Pac-12, the team that I'm watching for a team that could potentially pop off and boom is UCLA. Now, before you scream at the television and before you turn off this podcast, here's my question. How good can their quarterback play be? Because Chip Kelly, one of the best offensive minds in college football, they did a lot through the transfer portal. To me, it comes down to how good is their quarterback play? I'm looking at who they have. They got Colin Schley. They got Dante Moore. Five-star, for, five-star true freshman for them. My assumption is that Dante Moore, whether it's game one or whether it's game six, is eventually their starting quarterback. What if Dante Moore is just him? right from the jump what if that five-star status is seen in his first year on campus in Westwood if UCLA is able to be explosive and dynamic offensively and Dante Moore hits the ground running in Chip Kelly's offense there's no telling what UCLA could be man because we all know this in the Pac-12 you got to have elite quarterback play to win Utah's a great example yeah they're really tough yeah they have a great defense but Cam Rising has been the common denominator the last two Pac-12 title seasons for them. You look across the conference, same thing with Washington, with Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix at Oregon, Caleb Williams at USC. You got to have a quarterback to get it done. And if Dante Moore is who I think he could be his first season on campus, they bring back eight starters on defense, who, to be clear, they do have to perform better than they did a season ago, allowed 30 points a game, but they got a lot of guys back that could gel and could do some good things. If Dante Moore is that guy, they got Carson Steele bringing Maction to the Rose Bowl. I'm excited about what they could be. I think Dante Moore and UCLA, as long as Chip Kelly's the head coach there, they're going to be a problem. But I, I'm telling you this, as long as Chip Kelly has a quarterback, we've seen that UCLA can be dangerous. So UCLA, to me, is very much so on boom watch in 2023. Let's go to the ACC now. Miami has the most important piece that you need. They got the quarterback. They got Tyler Van Dyke. And I'm a big fan of him. There's, there's no secret about that. If you've watched this show for any length of time, you know I'm excited about Tyler Van Dyke. To me, the question is, how much does that reset button work for them? Because I think they had to get sore before they could get strong. Like, culturally, wasn't good enough last year. It's why they lost Middle Tennessee. 
offensive line wasn't good enough the roster wasn't good enough so you retool some things right have a top 10 portal class you go out and you switch your offensive philosophy with shannon dawson lance gidry now your dc they've really hit the reset button in terms of personnel and i think they hit the reset button last year in culture and year two is where that kind of starts to take shape because i believe in mario cristobal i believe in the way that he does things if his culture starts to permeate this coming season and we see a tough Miami football team and you pair that with a revived offensive philosophy with what they did getting Javion Cohen and getting Matt Lee and now Francis Malagoa, the true freshman, probably going to start for them at tackle they're excited about. And Tyler Van Dyke is a version of what we saw in 2021 back in 2023. They're going to be a problem now. Miami, I think the danger factor for them is very, very high in the ACC. I think if you're going to overlook Miami, do so at your own risk. Mario Cristobal has proven he can turn these things around. He's proven he knows how to win. I think it's a matter of time at Miami. And I think the personnel now is at the jumping off point. And the philosophy offensively is at the jumping off point to where we can expect some more good things from them. So Miami, absolutely very, very high boom watch in 2023. Last thing we want to talk about here, the Big 12 Conference is under a lot of change, right? Oklahoma, Texas headed to the SEC in 24. They got one more year in the Big 12. You got BYU, you got Cincinnati, you got UCF all joining the party. UCF, Cincinnati, BYU, Houston is the fourth team joining the Big 12. UCF to me is the team that's on boom watch in the Big 12. And the reason why I say that is when you look at the way that UCF finished last year, they didn't win the American Athletic Conference, but they're not limping into the Big 12. They're not win football team. Also, they have a quarterback and a head coach that have competed at the highest level of college football. Obviously, Gus Malzahn being at Auburn for a period of time and having a lot of success there. John Rice Plumley, who a lot of people believe could have been the guy at Ole Miss but still contributed for them in a very big way. It's John Rice Plumley's second year in the Gus Malzahn system. And I think if he's able to take that next step, all bets are off with UCF. Because Oklahoma and Texas are probably the top two you look at from a roster standpoint. Kansas State's going to be tough. TCU loses a lot of key pieces. I think the Big 12 has a lot of question marks. And if UCF is able to, again, if John Rice Plumley takes that next step in the offense and they're able to have that output they need to have production-wise, scoring-wise, keep it on UCF. I really think they're going to be dangerous. I like the way their schedule shakes out. Their toughest games are at Oklahoma and at Texas Tech. No Texas on the schedule. you got to take a flight to Orlando, Florida to play UCF. I'm telling you, that's not an easy trip to make. I like the way UCF sits. I really, really, again, I love the head coach combination and quarterback combination with John Rice Plumley and Gus Malzahn. I think we'll see them make strides in 2023. So to recap before you, our boom teams for 2023 in the SEC, we got Texas A&M. They have all the ingredients they need. Get that recipe right. Who knows what they could do in the Big Ten? Wisconsin and Luke Fickle. He's won before everywhere he's been. He knows how to get teams to where they need to go. He got Cincinnati to the college football playoff. They're balanced offensively. They're tough. They've got a good plan in place. They're in the Big Ten West. they got a chance to really boom here. When it comes to the Pac-12, I like UCLA. A lot of that is predicated on what Dante Moore does, but if he lives up to what he could be, to, to what his billing was as a recruit, keep an eye on them with Chip Kelly. In the ACC, Miami and Tyler Van Dyke, if he gets back to what he was in 2021, 
this new offense retooled the roster culture starting to trend the right direction Miami's going to be dangerous and then UCF like I just said Gus Malzahn John Rice Plumley, a big reason why I think they could be set up to boom in 2023 let me know who y'all think is going to boom get in the live chat right now let me know who you think are your boom teams also we got one more segment and then we're getting to y'all's thoughts questions concerns or else across across the college football landscape Nick Breakkeeper, the Q, about to join us here in just a few short moments. Also, if you could like the video, get us over 100 likes, little thumbs up icon under the video, it'd be phenomenal. So thank you in advance for already getting that done. I got complete faith in our program, complete faith in our people watching this show to get that done. So thank you in advance for that. All right. Last year, we did this series right around this time. So I think it's about time for us to jump back into it. And that is the pulse of the program. That is where we take our two fingers and put them directly on a specific college fan base slash locker room and get a feel for what the pulse is heading into this coming season. I think there's no better place to start than Knoxville, Tennessee. Because 2022 for Tennessee was magical. You beat Alabama. You make a New Year's Six Bowl. Hennon Hooker was on track to win the Heisman Trophy. You confirm emphatically Josh Heupel is the right guy for the job down there. 2023, to me... The pulse at Tennessee is, why not us? Because the internal versus external feel around Tennessee with that fan base is very, very different. The external feel, you're going to hear things like this. Look at what they lost. No more Hennon Hooker. No more Jalen Hyatt. You'll also hear, well, the defense is still a problem, right? Defense, they had issues last year. They're going to continue to have issues. And you lost Hennon Hooker. You lost that strong output offensively. You'll also hear, well, they haven't stocked the cupboard like some of the other big boys. They haven't recruited like Alabama or recruited like Georgia. So a lot of people are kind of dismissing last year. It's like, hey, that was nice for Tennessee. Yeah, we'll have to deal with them this coming year. But last year was was just fun in Knoxville. It's not going to be something that we continue to worry about year in and year out. You don't believe me? Look at what Las Vegas is saying about Tennessee. Now, the internal feel is very, very different. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked into this show. Like the video, follow me on the socials at Judy Pakel, Twitter, Instagram, all that. Appreciate you for that. Had to do a little cliffhanger there. I'm sorry, but we, we had to do it. The internal feel around Tennessee, as I was saying just a moment ago, is very different. A lot of people are saying, well, you lost Hendon Hooker. People in Tennessee are saying, that's okay. We love we, we love Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker's our guy. We'd love to have him back for another year if there was any way we could bend the NCAA rule book. But they're really excited about Joe Milton. People in Knoxville believe Joe Milton could be a top 10 pick if Tennessee does what they're supposed to do this coming season. I mean, you've seen him have viral highlight after viral highlight this past offseason. And I know it's not 11 on 11, but heck, it's the offseason. We got to be excited about stuff. There's more than enough to be excited about with Joe Milton, his physical tools. They think he's going to pick up where he left off. They think he's this year's version of what Anthony Richardson was a season ago. They love Joe Milton in Tennessee. A lot of people saying, well, you lost Jalen Hyatt. Skill players are not the concern for people in Knoxville. Skill players are not the concern. They've got some freakish dudes on the outside there. Dante Thornton, going to be a stud for them from Oregon. He's about six foot three, can run like the wind. They think he's going to be a problem on the outside for them. Squirrel White, I say it every single time, he's real life fast. I think he picks up right where Jalen Hyatt left off, being in that slot position. A lot of production to be made up for, but you saw what he did in the Orange Bowl. Dude was virtually unguardable from what I could see. Brew McCoy, a bully on the outside. 
Yeah, they lost Jalen Hyatt. Of course you wish Jalen Hyatt was back for another year. But they don't feel like they're in a position of need when it comes to that wide receiver unit. And then this is probably the ultimate thing people are saying. Well, the defense is the Achilles heel. And people in Knoxville, they're not being ignorant and just saying, no, the defense is going to be great. They're saying, okay, yes, defense needs to improve. It needs to be better. Does, does it need to be great for us to get to where we want to go? You know, you'd like it to be great, but they thought like they're going to score 40 points a game. So with that being the case, if the secondary can be improved from what it was a season ago, which the bar is set pretty low there, allowing 287 yards passing a game, if it can be better than that, okay, we're going to have a chance. Because the assumption is the offense stays about where it was last year, picks up where it left off last year, and the defense can pick up their end of the deal. Why not us? Why not us at Tennessee? We already beat Alabama last year. Feel like if a couple of plays break differently against Georgia, maybe we have a chance in this thing. Like the feeling for the fan base in Tennessee is why not us? That's the fan base feel. Now the internal feel, I believe, is the exact same as it was a season ago. To give you a little bit of some some inside football here. Talked to someone I know at Tennessee who was on the team last year. No, it's not Grant Furking, different player. And I asked him, hey, what's the feel for you guys going into this coming season? Again, this is a year ago, right around this time. I said, what's the feel? We're doing this segment, Pulse the Program. I want to get your internal feel of that locker room. And what he told me was, hey, we're just looking to take that next step. We feel like we're ready to take that next step. And so we saw last year, by nature of what they accomplished, double-digit wins, New Year's Six win. They took that next step. Now, fast forward the tape now. Looking at this team, I think that's still the same approach. That's still the same feel internally. That's still the pulse is taking that next step. Because look at what Josh Heupel said when they won that Orange Bowl. Took the podium, confetti's falling, Joe Milton's hucking oranges to the last row of the Orange Bowl. And like there, there's a lot of excitement, right? And Josh Heupel just says, this is just the start. They understood that wasn't the destination. It's a, it's a nice feather in the cap. It's a nice way to cap off the 2023 or 2022 season. That wasn't the destination for the good folks in Tennessee. And so for them, they're looking to continue to build off what they did last year. They're not satisfied with last year. They're looking to make the college football playoff and win the SEC. Like those goals, I think, are much more attainable based on what happened last year. But that's still the mission for them. The mission is win the SEC. That's the mission. That's the next step for them in their mind. I would have to believe. And when it comes to Tennessee, looking at what could happen in 2023, I think they're a powder keg on the recruiting trail. If they go 8-4 and four in 2023, well, then 2022 is just kind of a nice story, right? Hey, that's cool you beat Alabama. That's cool that you had that great run with Hendon Hooker, but you kind of took a step back, fell back to earth, right? That'd be the sentiment if you were to win eight games. Now, if you go and beat a Georgia or Alabama again and win double-digit football games again, I think the whole just pop blows off the top. I think that would happen if Tennessee were to do that. Because I think then the recruiting momentum starts to really get rolling because we usually see what you did a season ago impact the next cycle on the recruiting trail. And they've already had some juice now on the recruiting trail has Tennessee. But then you start to see, okay, this is who Tennessee is now. They're going to be a factor every single year in the SEC title race. 
They solidify themselves as a top-tier team in the SEC if you go knock down one of those big boys in Bama or Georgia. Then I think you have a chance to really start cooking with some gas. So for Tennessee, the feeling is, why not us? And the pulse is, why not us in Knoxville? Because they feel like they have everything they need to accomplish everything they want to accomplish in 2023. Yes, they lost a lot. You never want to lose Hennon Hooker or Jalen Hyatt. That's, that's never something you hope to happen. No, you, you, you don't have the same OC as you did last year. But even so, they feel like everything they need is in-house to get to where they want to go. So that's the Pulse of the Program for Tennessee. Talk about a lot of other teams as we get rolling here throughout the summer leading up to college football season. But the Vols like where they stand before the season gets rolling. That's the beautiful part about right now, man. At this point in time, and I tweeted it out, you are well within your right, regardless of fan base, to drink every single ounce of Kool-Aid that is associated with your team. Because right now, everybody's undefeated. Everybody's got a chance to win the title. Everybody's got a chance to win their conference. Everybody's got a chance to beat their rival. That's what we love, man. That's what we sign up for. So my advice would be, guzzle that Kool-Aid. A lot of people saying, no, be, be, be slow to you know, have high expectations. No, guzzle that Kool-Aid, because right now you get to. Beautiful part about it. If y'all could like the video really quick, little thumbs up button under the video will get us over to 100 likes. Be 10 shows in a row. Be just a great testament to what y'all have done so far. So thank you in advance for that, for getting that done. Get a little thumbs up video, or excuse me, thumbs up icon under the video. Hit that for me. We'll be off to the races. Now, Hope you've been getting in your, your thoughts, feelings, questions, concerns, takes even to the keeper of the queue, Nick Brake. So we're going to bring him on right now. Owensboro, Kentucky, first team all producer, Nick Brake. Welcome in, brother. How we doing? JD, how are you doing, man? Dude, I'm doing good. I'm doing really, really well. I'm glad to have, uh, have the party rolling this morning, man. Fun to have Andy Staples on, huh? How was that? Always, always a fun time to have Andy Staples in here. Awesome he's joining us here on three. going to be awesome, man. Joining the, join the party. Joining the party. Joining the party, and the party is party rocking, man. What are, what are we hearing right now from uh, from the live chat? We're going to start with Husker Fan Man 1989. Uh, what is your favorite non-New Year's Six bowl game? Uh, Husker Fan Man Ooh. says mine have been New Mexico Bowl and the Holiday Bowl. That's a really good question. I, now, I would have said a couple of years ago before they made it a New Year's Six bowl, it would have been the Chick-fil-A bowl. That, that would have been my answer. Man, I love... I do love the Holiday Bowl. The Holiday Bowl is always fun. I went to that a couple of times growing up, being in the Southern California area. I'm trying to think of a missing any bowl game that's just crucial. No, you know what? I'm going to go Holiday Bowl. I think that's probably the one that I would side with. I mean, you have two historic conferences. It was played at Qualcomm Stadium, which was where the Chargers played before it is. I think it got knocked down. Holiday Bowl is a lot of fun, man. I've been to that a couple times as well in person and as a fan and with the media. That's actually the first bowl game I ever went to. So I'll say Holiday Bowl for memory's sake and for pageantry's sake, Nick. Great question. Yeah, good start. Uh, next one. This one speak from uh, Jonathan Rayfield. SJD, Matt Rule has taken away the single-digit numbers at University of Nebraska and will be rewarding them to the most elite players. Who do you think will earn those single-digit uh, numbers for Nebraska here this season, JD? To be clear, I love this. I absolutely love this. He did this when we were at Baylor as well. You give out the single digits as a reward to like, hey, th this is a dude now. You got to earn that single digit. You want to wear that fresh number four, five, six, whatever. You got to earn that. Who are some guys that are going to wear the single digit? It's a good question. I, I think Jeff Sims has to be in consideration for that. Currently rocking the double digit. I think he was 14 in the spring game, Nick, if I'm not mistaken. Wore 10 at Georgia Tech. 
Would not be surprised if he were a guy that were up for that single-digit honor. I think Anthony Grant could be a guy that ends up earning that single-digit honor just in terms of a guy who's an absolute dude. Billy Kemp, the transfer wide receiver, could be a dude for them. So there's a lot of guys that are up for uh, up for consideration. Keep an eye on the timeline, though, of these guys winning those single digits because the way that I understand it is it's first come, first serve. So, I mean, if, if you're that dude who gets to pick the single digit first, that means he's really been balling behind closed doors. So I think there's also a leadership factor that goes into it. But, yeah, if you're a baller, you get a single digit. I love that for Coach Rule and company. Keep an eye on the timeline. But those guys, I think, all have a chance to, to get some some single digit on the jersey. JD, two more? Let's do it. Two more, brother. Uh, Craig, I'm not buying into this Wisconsin hype. Seems eerily close to the Frost era. What do you think? Interesting. I would question why it's eerily close to the Frost era because I don't think that Nebraska and Wisconsin are necessarily in, in the exact same place. I would also say Luke Fickle... For, for my money, has had a more sustained record of success as a head coach than what Scott Frost did coming from UCF to Nebraska. So I, I see what you're saying. I also think just the, I think the structure at Wisconsin from an administration standpoint is in a better place than where Nebraska was at, is, is my feel on things. So I understand being slow to buy the hype. That's fair. But the proven commodity at quarterback, the beast they have at running back, the structure they've had from an identity standpoint over the past couple of years, having a tough defense, proven OC. Like, I really, really like where Wisconsin's going to be. Also, I'll say this from Wisconsin and Nebraska, the comp between Fickle and Frost. Scott Frost came in and he was calling the plays. Luke Fickle's not calling the offense or the defense, to my understanding. I, th I mean, it's, it's going to be Scott Frost calling the show. So I understand the, the pushback there, but I think Wisconsin's going to be a really good team this year, Nick. Mm-hmm. JD, I, I kind of lied. Um, as soon as I said two more, like I a lot it. of really good questions came in. So I can we do it. two more it. now? Let's do it. Yeah, two more is great. Okay. So this first one is, is from Todd Packer. Um, okay. I like that reference. Um, JD, what's your take on Joe Milton saying he doesn't lose in Florida since UT hasn't beaten Florida in Gainesville since 2003? Is this a bold take or is this uh, some motivation? I saw this, man. I kind of go two ways on this. One part of me feels like, hey, man, game's not for a while. Let's kind of play this thing close to the vest. Let's go under the radar here. Let's not put a bullet on our or uh, put a target on our back for someone to shoot a bullet at us before we even get to the game. So I, I feel that part a little bit. The competitor side of me, though, is like if I'm in that Tennessee locker room and my quarterback says, listen, we don't lose in Florida and that's our rival school. I'm like, let's go, man. I'll follow that dude into battle anywhere. Talk your cash, Joe Milton. Like, like that, That's probably how I would feel if I were Joe Milton's teammate. So if I'm on the outside looking in, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I feel great about us putting a bullseye on our back. But the competitor side is like, yeah, bring it on. We want all the smoke. We know what it is against Florida. We know what we did last year to them at our place. Like, let's go. Let's get after it. Also, probably doesn't hurt that Florida has a five-and-a-half win total, according to Vegas right now. So they're kind of the easy one to call out. But... I love it for Joe Milton. I think that's actually a pretty pretty bold way to go about it. And I, I like that he's going bold. Okay, one more question. This is a really good question. Um, David Erickson, hashtag SJD, what are your oh, – oh, excuse me. I asked – this is not the good one. Okay, this is a good question. He I asked what your expectations are for Jeff Sims, JD. So um, 
Um, that's a great question. So you can answer that really quick. But yeah. he has a really great other question uh, that I've got to find. But uh, Jay, did you have anything You're to say yeah, about yeah, that? You're great. Yeah, yeah, Jeff Sims. The expectations are for him to be steady. Like that's what Nebraska needs for him to do. All the tools in the world, big frame, rocket for an arm. The concerning thing is there isn't that production to go with those tools from when he was at Georgia Tech. But this system now, it's, it's going to be let's run the football and set up open shots for this pass game. So to put it simply, the expectation is be consistent, be steady, don't turn the ball over. In terms of what I think performance-wise for him, I think it'll be good production. I think what he does well will be making the timely plays. Like, I think it's not going to be a thing where we're at the end of the season here talking about Jeff Sims winning the Heisman Trophy and leading the country in passing. My expectation for him and, and what I think he could do at Nebraska is just be the steadying force for this offense. And I, I think he's going to do that well. I think that's why he came to Nebraska. I think that's why they wanted him to come to Nebraska among some other transfer portal quarterbacks. So those are my expectations mm -hmm. for Jeff Sims, Nick. Okay, and, and I found it. This is David Erickson's other question. I really like this one. Uh, would it be beneficial for another small conference to sort of duplicate duplicate what the MAC does with Maction playing in midweek? Um, obviously, just gives a little bit more attention to the smaller conferences. J.D., what do you think? It's a good question, man. We'll answer that one right now. But, Nick, appreciate you, man. Appreciate you making this whole thing happen. Had a live guest on today. Wasn't a pre-recorded deal. Best in the business, Nick. Appreciate you, brother. Do it again Tuesday? Yeah, I'll be back Tuesday, my friend. We'll Beautiful. see you then. Tuesday it is. Again, Nick Bray, Keeper of the Q, running this whole operation for us here at the Hard Count. To answer that question, should a smaller conference do what the MAC did in having their matchups during the week to get more attention because we all love maction midweek maction having college football on a wednesday or a tuesday when we you know are kind of starting to feel down in the dumps because we just got off college football saturday i think it's it's a great idea now how you would make it work logistically is my question because i have friends that have been in the maction from a personnel standpoint and it is a grind on the schedule because at some point you do have to play Saturday games as well. But if, if there's a, a conference that would be able to get into that Tuesday or Wednesday slot, I think that would be something that could bring a lot of exposure to your team. And exposure just helps your, your operation across the board. Probably more money because you've probably got a pretty good TV deal set up. Recruits get to see you and only you on that night of the week. So I would love if certain comments were, were to get this done. Uh, the Ivy League made a play to get this done with ESPN. You having their games on a Friday, and I think that probably helped some schools a little bit across the board. But yeah, to to, to short answer this, would love to see other conferences get that done if they were able to make it work logistically. Y'all, we're glad to have you a part of this. Appreciate us. Appreciate you all getting us over 100 likes yet again. That's 10 shows in a row. It's not us. It's all y'all getting it done. So thank you for that. Everyone tuned in on podcast. You have our heart. You have our admiration because you find a way throughout your day. You can't tune in live. So you say, you know what podcast? I'm there. I can, I can get it done on my drive. I can get it done when I'm at work. I can get it done after I get the kids to bed. So thank you very much for that. Appreciate y'all being tuned in. Appreciate y'all being part of this. We will be back Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, but we'll have videos for you every single day up until then. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked in. College football season is around the corner. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all. As always, we're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time.